Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So first question here we have is find the break even point using the following information. Variable cost is $89,050. Food cost is 49. It's going to be 47,000. And then sales is going to be $220,400. So this is break even, which always is tricky. And one of the reasons why people like it the least is just because the equations are really, really ugly. And there's two different equations that you can use for break even point. So when we're thinking about break even point, the very first thing we want to think about is, am I in break even point in units sold? Meaning my answer will be in units. So we'll be saying, I need to sell 25 sandwiches at the selling price that's in the equation? Or is it in break even for sales volume where we're saying, I need to sell, you know, I need to sell $10,000 of something to break even. So that's our first question. So some hints you have here is when there's really large numbers, right? So like I look at this equation again and I see, right, variable cost is $89,050. Food cost is $47,000. Sales is $220,400. So hopefully you think those are kind of big, big numbers, right? Um, and that's your hint that it's talking about sales volume. Verse, if you notice that our fixed cost was really large and then sales and variable costs were, were going to be smaller, that would kind of be your hint that, okay, well, that's just per unit. If it, this is a multiple choice question and the answer for break even is in dollars, that's sales volume. If it's in units sold, that's going to be break even in units sold. So as a reminder, our break even in sales volume equation is our fixed cost. So we, if we look at this one, my, my fixed cost, right, they're not giving us a fixed cost here. So we're right off the bat like, uh-oh. Um, and then they're telling us, okay, my first thing I have is variable cost. So I'm going to set up my break-even sales volume equation and kind of see what am I missing. Because if you're not familiar with the equations and you're trying to kind of force things in, that's where you're going to get this question wrong. So my equation is my fixed cost over... 1 minus variable cost divided by sales. So what I want to do here is that let me plug in what I have. So I go back to the question. Okay, well, we have my $89,050 in variable cost. So I'm going to put that right. That's in my denominator. So 1 minus parenthesis. Then we have my $89,050. Okay. Okay. Food cost.
boss, right, it's telling me is going to be my $47,000, right? And then my, my sales is going to be my $220,400. So on the top, right, we're thinking, okay, we have our fix, we have our fixed costs and they're telling us, right, that we have, okay, our food costs, right, is going to be one of our fixed costs that we're set, having there, right? So we can put that as our numerator. And again, sometimes they're kind of just moving some stuff around. And then we would have our variable cost divided by my sales. So I'm saying, okay, well, how much do I need to sell if these are all the different factors here? So always with the break even, I recommend just kind of going one step at a time because it does get very, very messy. So let's start by doing our $89,050 divided by my $220,400. Goodness gracious, so big. Okay, so then that's going to give me 40 cents. So 0.4. Then I'm going to have 1 minus 0.4, right? I always love to do it in a calculator, even though I could do this myself, right? So 0.6. So then I have my $47,000 over 0.6. So I do that. And then that's telling me I need to sell 78 thousand three hundred and thirty three dollars of whatever this is to break even so I'm finding this because that's going to be my break even in sales volume now what I'm going to be having next is I want to remember that my break even right is going to be my fixed cost over sales minus variable cost so it's a little bit simpler for the break-even in units sold. So whenever you're doing this, the first step you want to be thinking about is, okay, well, do I have large numbers or do I have two small numbers and one large number two? And kind of orient yourself. Next question we have is more domain one, pediatric. So this looks like a question out of Inman. So the most useful data in evaluating nutritional status of a child is option, sex and age, B, iron and vitamin intake, C, energy intake and health history, or D, height and weight. And this student was saying, can someone please explain why energy intake and health history is the most associated with nutritional status and not height and weight? And we had some great comments on this post, which is why when I love you guys, that you guys kind of help each other too, and it's good for me to kind of see the in the insight too. So even though height and weight, right, that you're kind of going to that perfect, you want to be thinking of that it's just one data point, right? So knowing just the height and the weight is one data point, you aren't able to say, right, like, is this the first time that they're this high weight or low weight or whatever it is? You know, are they increasing? Or are they decreasing? What are they doing? Versus getting the recall of like, oh, they're only eating a thousand calories and they need 2000 calories and like, oh, they have these different diseases and different things. 
we're trying to look at the nutritional status, kind of that malnutrition risk of the patient too. So just having the height and weight isn't helpful. So like I think about too with like my cancer patients, a lot of time they just like are like, oh, well, they're obese, so they're not malnourished, right? Just that one data point isn't helpful. So the energy intake would be saying like, are they eating enough? Are they eating too much? And then the health history would be saying kind of, what are their different comorbidities too? So remember, just one data point is not super duper helpful. Another student had a great reminder too that, you know, like I was just saying, body size, BMI, not a great indicator of health. I know recently, right, a lot, there's been a lot of stuff around the BMI and people always get upset too when we're talking about BMI in context of pediatrics. But remember, the exam will still talk about BMI for pediatrics for 2 to 20. And things you need to know about BMI for pediatrics is how to calculate it, the same math as adult. But then you also need to know how to plot it on the percentiles too. Then this week, we got a few different questions about talking about the diabetes exchanges. And one of the things, too, that's really, really tough with the diabetes exchanges is there's just so many foods to know about the diabetes exchanges. And how I like to kind of teach my students about it is first, I give them a really great kind of resource from the American Diabetes Association too. And it's been posted on the Facebook a few times. So just search um, like diabetes or like DM exchanges. If you're on podcast only, just shoot me an email, Dana J. Fryer Nutrition at gmail.com and I'll shoot it to you too. So you want to kind of first look at the guide. Then a really great way to kind of apply this and make sure it's kind of sticking is look at what you're having, you know, in your day-to-day. And again, I always give the caveat of if, you know, kind of applying the diabetes exchanges to your meals is not healthy for you. Do not do it, of course. But what I find is it's helpful to kind of look at what you're eating in the day-to-day and then look on the exchanges so you can kind of be saying, you know, like, oh, wow, like, I just had, you know, two cups of arugula, you know, being like, okay, well, you know, a cup of uncooked vegetables is only five grams. So it would take three cups to equal one exchange. And just to make you more comfortable in it, and especially because some of them are a little a little weird. Um, also looking at kind of the trends in it too. Um, and if you've taken the diabetes class, that's kind of how I break it down for you too. We kind of are looking at the different kind of similarities between them two and kind of look for patterns. But a great way is to kind of apply it on yourself. Um, apply it on yourself for sure. Next question we got is another one about descriptions versus specifications versus um, analysis. And this is one that I feel like has been coming up almost every week. So if you're looking for the class on it, it's in the management bundle. Um, in the management bundle... The management bundle is going to be, um, the management bundle is going to be, um, it includes HR, it includes management practice questions, management, uh, and then also like labor laws and financial terms. So it's a, it's a great bundle that you guys can be getting. But when we're thinking about a lot of the management vocab, always, 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 we want to apply it on ourselves. So let's see the question. This is out, out of pocket prep. So you were asked to write a job specification for a lead cook on the kitchen staff. 
which of the following would be included in the job specifications? And to kind of take a look out of this, you know, we want to be thinking about what are our definitions for these? Because, right, if we think about, you know, what Inman says or like even here, like pocket prep, and it's not making sense for you, you want to make sure that you're thinking about kind of what works best for you. So like here, job analysis on the pocket prep definition is saying a breakdown of the task um, for the position, how to complete each task. And they're saying, for example, how to complete each task required to be a lead cook. So when I think about job analysis, I think about when I started doing my intern, my internship for my business. And the analysis, I'm kind of like, well, what do I need people to do? So you're going through and saying, okay, well, what would I want the intern to do? I want her to help me with the newsletter. I want her to help me with the Instagram. I want her to do research. Okay, what are the different things I want to do? You're like analyzing. What does this person even do? You often are doing this for new positions or if there's like a change in the position, you're kind of analyzing what they do. Then you have the job description. So like pocket prep is saying job description would be a list of skills and responsibilities and duties of the specific position. So they're saying like for the chef, it would be duties that the, that the lead chef must complete each day, responsibilities for it. So I like to think that the description is like what you would put on the advertisement, right? So like for me, I would, I would put on my advertisement for my fall intern saying like, okay, you need to be a nutrition program. You need to have interest in this. You need to be independent. You know, you need to be able to understand different things too. Um, so the job description is like what you would see on like a job posting. And then you have the job specification. So pocket prep is saying job specification is going to be the description of the minimum standards that must be met by someone to hold the specific position. So here in this question, they're saying, well, for the chef, it would be the minimum amount that needs to be the lead chef. This isn't really like the best definition. I like to think about the specifications. They're helping you to kind of say like, who do we specifically want for a position? So in my internship position, I'm not, you know, I would kind of internally have the specifications, right? I'm not going to post those online because they're helping me kind of determine which candidate is best. So if I have two candidates, right, and they're from like the same school, same background, same everything, they meet everything in the job description, they could do everything I need them to do. And I'm like, oh, how do I determine between them? I'm going to kind of look at my internal or be only available for people who are doing the hiring specifications to say, okay, who do we kind of specifically want? This is more kind of for the hiring too. So we have in the Facebook Live, someone saying, so would job description have like degree certification? Yes. So two weeks ago, um, we talked about in the class, there was a question of like licensure for dietitian. That would be in the job description, right? So like, but in the job specification, let's say, so like for my private practice, I'm licensed in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New Hampshire. So let's say I wanted to hire another dietitian. I was like, oh, well, you know, the majority of my patients are in Massachusetts. So the job description could be saying like, must be licensed in Massachusetts, right? But the specification, I could be like, 
ooh, it would, you know, I don't need them to be licensed in other states, but ooh, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? So that could help me like pick who specifically do I want. So what's helpful is to kind of think about an example for each one too, which is why, and if you take the class on it too, or like you can see right now, I always give the example of my internship because that's just really kind of the main position I've ever had experience hiring for. But think about like your job or anything like that and putting it on your real life examples. It's just going to help you understand it a lot better. Next one is one from me. So the most common carbohydrate intolerance that affects people of all ages is what intolerance? So options are gluten, glucose, lactose, fructose. And where a lot of people got stuck was putting gluten because they're like, ah, carbohydrate, gluten. Remember, gluten is a protein. So right away when you're reading this and you, your keyword is carbohydrate, right? You got to cut out gluten. Gluten's a protein, right? Treatment would be eating gluten-free, but gluten is a protein. So this would be our lactose intolerance, right? Super, super duper, um, super duper common for that one too. Okay. Next one we have is from a student. Question is, a patient is on a high protein, low carb diet. What advice would you offer? Options are increase fluid intake, decrease the intake of complex carbs, decrease fluid intake, or decrease the amount of saturated fats. So with these questions, and I've been getting a lot of people who've been having them on the exam, you want to go first based off what information you have about the patient, about the situation, and then kind of go to like general nutrition advice, right? So this one, they're on a high protein. So I'm thinking, okay, well, when someone's on a high protein diet, what do I want them to do? Definitely something that should come to mind for you guys is more fluid. The more protein you have in your diet, the more you need fluid because that you're helping to filter that in the kidneys. So right away, I'm like, okay, fluid, Low-carbohydrate diet, I'm like, eh. I, you know, something that comes to mind with carbohydrates when I don't know anything about the disease state is saying, okay, have a good amount of complex carbs, let's get some fiber in there. And so I'm kind of thinking fluid and fiber, so let me go back, okay, and do, and remember, never be afraid to use my little squiggle, which is like the, I think this one's good, but I'm not going to jump the gun, I'm going to come back. So we have increased fluid intake. I'm going to squiggle that one because I just said that, right? B, decrease the intake of complex carbs. Well, no, I said I'd probably want to increase them, especially when they're on a low-carb diet. Let's get you some complex carbs. Take them one out. Decrease fluid intake. Absolutely not. This is something I just said I wanted to do the opposite of. And then we have decreased intake of saturated fat. Now... This is a great kind of general nutrition advice example too. But if I'm thinking about, okay, well, what should I offer? General nutrition advice or something I was kind of learning specifically from this patient where I said, ooh, the high protein, we need more fluid. And the answer is to go based off of your disease state 
if you have information for that. And that would be the best one to do intake fluid, increase fluid intake for that fiber. Next one we have is from a student. Looks like this is out of Inman, question 43, probably in domain three and four. So in a hospital with 300 patients, it takes 14 minutes to prepare one meal. How many FTEs are needed per week? So this is the type of question I love to do in like my math boot camp classes and stuff because we read this and we're like, oh my goodness, like what is going on? So you want to break down what you have. So in the hospital with 300 patients, right, you want to always remember when it's talking about patient meals, do not starve your patients. So if I have 300 patients, i got to feed them three times a day, and then I'm in a week, so times seven. So just the patient meals, I need 6,300. Okay. It takes 14 minutes to prepare one meal. Okay. Well, times that, times 14 minutes. So that's 88,200 minutes. Okay, keep going. How many FTEs do you need per week? Well, I know in one week, one FTE is going to be 40 hours. So I'm saying, well, let me convert my minutes to hours. So divide that by 60. Okay, I need 1,470 hours per week. Divide that by 40 again, and that's telling me I need 36.75 or round up to 37. So with these questions, think, don't starve my patients, and then keep your units tight, get it right. It's my favorite thing to say. And then think about what information do I have? So with the math, you definitely want to kind of be going slow, and that's when definitely taking the math boot camp report course is helpful because these are things that if you're getting stuck, you want to work through together. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes, as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.